You want to look at an atom today. An atom is an extremely small particle. And it consists of protons. Protons have an electrical charge, which is positive. Electrons carry a negative charge. And neutrons carry no charge. And in 1990, the Nobel Prize in Physics was given to Jerome Friedman, Henry Kendall, and Richard Taylor. And the description that you will find of their prize was this. For their pioneering investigations concerning deep inelastic scattering of electrons on protons and bound neutrons, which have been of essential importance for the development of the quark model in particle physics. The word enmity means active and typically mutual hatred or ill will. I'm going to look at the definition of this throughout this podcast. But when you split an atom, you're going to trigger an explosion. Now, atoms weren't meant to be split. And usually what is left over from the splitting of an atom can be toxic and radioactive. And it wasn't the atom's fault. Like atoms don't generally split themselves to cause explosions. But we split an atom to gain their energy. When people are split or broken for the energy that lives inside of us, our labor, our power, explosions occur. Enmity occurs. And what is left over is toxic. But it wasn't their fault. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a husband, a dad, a father, a man of faith, and I'm driven by curiosity and about making efforts to be empathetic and compassionate, and I'm here today to have a conversation with you about the past, the present, the future, and with the hope that all of us will leave today ready to listen to our hearts and bring forth the contributions that we wish to make at a local level, a national level, and a global level. And today I'm continuing to look at the music of Public Enemy and the leadership lessons that we can learn from Public Enemy. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable until you reflect that for 200 years, ships sailed the seas carrying cargo of slaves. This is how the song Can't Trust It begins. And Can't Trust It was on the album by Public Enemy called Apocalypse 91, The Empire Strikes Black. It was released on October 1st, 1991 by Def Jam Recordings and Columbia Records. It peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 chart and number one on the top R&B hip-hop album charts. On November 26th of the same year, Apocalypse 91 was certified platinum by the Recording Industry of America. Can't Trust It was the most successful single off of the album peaked at number 9 on the Hot Soul Singles chart and number 50 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. And one more thing, the song also peaked at number 5 on the dance chart, so it became Public Enemy's most successful release on the dance charts. Chuck D said in a 1991 interview with Melody Maker, he explained the song. 
Chuck D said, that can't trust it is about how the corporate world of today is just a different kind of slavery. We don't control what we create. And because of the media, we don't control the way we think or run our lives. We've got to limit working for a situation that's other than ours. We have no ownership of anything. If you don't own business, then you don't have jobs. He said white people have jobs because they have businesses. They have institutions that teach them how to live in America. Black people don't have institutions that teach them how to deal with this. The number one institution that teaches you how to deal with this is the family, but slavery messed that up. And this song is about the ongoing cost of Holocaust, the slavery Holocaust. And that's how he began talking about the song, Can't Trust It. Where does this originate from? Well, the Ararak people were indigenous people of the West Indies. This group belonged to the Arawakian language family, and they were natives whom Christopher Columbus encountered when he first arrived in the Americas in 1492. The Spanish described them as a peaceful, primitive people. And we can look back. Columbus kept a log, a diary of his trip to the Americas. It was an abstract written in the 1530s by Bartholomew de las Casas. And there were several copies. There was a Barcelona copy of his original log. And then there was secondary sources and how they got their original information. When Columbus returned to Spain in 1493, he gave his original log to the royal court at Barcelona. And Queen Isabella ordered the log to be copied, which came about the name the Barcelona copy. Then the Barcelona copy was given back to Columbus before a second voyage. And then it was passed in the hands of his son. And his son used it to write a biography. And I want to read you a bit of the log that Columbus wrote. And these are his words from his diary. In the morning, I ordered the boats to be ready and coasted along the island toward the northeast to examine that part of it. We have been landed first at the eastern part. Presently, we discovered two or three villages, and the people all came down to the shore, calling out to us and giving thanks to God. Some brought us water and other victuals. Others, seeing that I was not disposed to land, plunged into the sea and swam out to us. And we perceived that they interrogated us as if we had come from heaven. An old man came on board my boat. The others, both men and women, cried with loud voices, Come and see the men who have come from heaven. Bring them food and drink. There came many of both sexes, everyone bringing something, giving thanks to God, prostrating themselves on the earth and lifting up their hands to heaven. They called out to us loudly to come to land. But I was apprehensive on account of a reef of rocks, which surrounds the whole island. Although within there is a depth of water and a room sufficient for all the ships of Christendom was a very narrow entrance. There are some shoals within inside, but the water is as smooth as a pond. It was as to view these parts that I set out in the morning, for I wished to give a complete relation to your highness as to find where a fort might be built. I discovered a tongue of land which appeared like an island, though it was not, 
but might be cut through and made so in two days. It contains six houses. I do not, however, see the necessity of fortifying the place, as the people here are simple in warlike matters, as your highness will see by those seven, which I have ordered to be taken and carried to Spain in order to learn our language and return, unless your highness should choose not to have them all transported to castle or held captive in the island. I could conquer the whole of them with 50 men and govern them as I pleased. Columbus had two goals in the Caribbean, to find gold, to find gold, and to find slaves. In fact, Columbus returned home to Spain and came back to the Caribbean with 17 ships and 1,200 men. His men traveled from island to island, taking Indians as captives. In 1495, in a large slavery, Columbus and his men rounded up 1,500 Arawak men, women, and children and put them in pens. They selected what they considered to be the best natives and loaded them onto the ships back to Spain. 200 died en route. After the survivors were sold as slaves in Spain, Columbus wrote, Let us, in the name of the Holy Trinity, go on sending all the slaves that can be sold. Now, here was the people who approached Columbus with joy, with happiness, offering them food, offering them drink. And what was his response? 1,200 men sent back as slaves. Now, now, what happened? It was also said in the diary that they would force the native people to look for gold. And when they wouldn't come back with gold, they would cut their hands off. And this occurred because they saw that the tribe, the Arawaks, had earrings, nose rings that were gold. And they assumed that because of these earrings, these nose rings, that there would be fields of gold. But there weren't. There weren't fields of gold. These were little pieces of gold that they had made, but there weren't large fields of gold. And they would cut their hands off. Now what happened? Well, the Arawaks organized, and they attempted to fight back against the Spaniards, but there were, they were little match against the armor, the muskets, the swords, and the horses of the Europeans. The Spaniards hung or burned the Indians that they took captive. And by this point, the Arawaks began committing mass suicides. They fed poison to their infants to save them from the Spanish. And in two years, half of the 250,000 Indians on Haiti were dead, either through murder mutilation, or suicide. And by 1500, there were 500 Indians. And by 1650, the Arawaks had been wiped out from the island. What is your purpose as a leader? When people come to you with good intentions, how do you treat them? You see, the native people met Columbus with joy. They met them with eagerness, but they were killed and enslaved. Think about our tensions as our leader. Do we want to accomplish our goals at the expense of other people? Now, I don't think that at 
today we're at the level that Columbus was, that we would walk into a workplace and that we would try to enslave people. But what we can extrapolate out is this attitude where Columbus's intention was, I'm going to come in and I'm going to enslave, I'm going to conquer you. What if he would have said we could work together to accomplish the goal of finding gold? This could be done. See, it didn't need to be a situation where we had to slave and, and kill people. We could have worked together. We could have said, hey, help me find gold. Help me find what's in your ear. And they could have shown it to them. They were happy to help them. But this happens in workplaces all the time. People show up and they don't listen to people. People may have treated your arrival with joy and expectations and you may not be a cruel individual, but let me tell you this, you won't be a positive force. You won't be a positive impact. You will not create a positive culture if you come into an environment that you don't know and automatically assume that you can take that workplace over. And guess what? You may come in there and you may have some sort of success you may be financially wealthy, but you have a poor culture. You see, I want you to see people first and put your opinions to the side. Believe that people are there to help. Realize that there may be a reason why people are upset. The Arwak people started committing mass suicides because of the way they were treated. They weren't doing this before Columbus arrived. They did this as a result of the way they were treated. Think about this in your workplace. Look around at people. An empathetic leader realizes that the goals of the workplace can be accomplished by showing compassion and empathy towards the employees. Think about it in your workplace. Look around at people. There's probably somebody who is dealing with cancer, either their own cancer or somebody in their family's cancer. Somebody may have been sexually assaulted. People have parenting struggles, financially struggles. There are things that are happening that are out of our control. We can't just simply tell people, show up and get to work. Leave your personal life at home. Well, you may be able to leave your personal life at home, but your personal life still is inside of you. And if we don't do something about that, then you will not get the success that you want. Enmity. Mutual hate. Mutual hate can be created. You see, we can create mutual hate. Or we can create mutual love. If you come into a situation and it's all about you, it's all about your way, it's all about your systems, it's all about the way you want to do things and the people there don't matter, they just need to fall in line and do what you tell them, you can do that. You may have financial success. And I, I can't 
say that you won't have financial success, but guess what you will also do? What will grow up right alongside of that is enmity, mutual hate, and at some point, it will begin to diminish. The success that you want, you will never get to the level that you want to get to. And this is documented. Adam Grant writes about this in Givers and Takers, about how in organizations, actually, the most generous people are at the highest performing of an organization and the lowest performing of an organization. But the people who are the high-driven performers, do everything at all costs, are in the middle. Who's at the top? The people who are caring, generous, and compassionate. That's just data that's out there. Atoms weren't designed to be split. They don't split themselves. People were not meant to be split. People need love, compassion, empathy, hope. If you use fear, intimidation to lead, number one, you don't deserve to be a leader. And number two, you need to either reflect on your leadership or you need to get out of it altogether. Leadership that stands the test of time. Leaders have a legacy. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of wealthy slave owners. We see plantations and we see wealth that was generated by slave owners. But who has a textbook that has studied the methods of a slave owner? Tell me the name of a slave owner that is honored today. Those leadership methods may have produced financial success, but we're not honoring that. We're not teaching that. We don't want our children to imitate that. We remember MLK, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Emerson, Thoreau, Plato, Socrates, not for their wealth, but for their high ideals that we all can aspire to. You know what? Live that legacy. And you know what? As you look at money and wealth, they are neutral. For instance, your money cannot talk to you. If you lay money down on the table, it will not give you directions and tell you what to do. It's neutral. You use money we make the decision on how money can be used but in the wrong hands it can be used evilly if you make it your desire to get it at all cost or get it at the cost of other people then you will hurt people you can use your money to fund an after-school program, help a veteran with PTSD get counseling, make positive choices with what you do, or your ideas that you have. What is your brain power steering you in the direction of doing? Is it steering you in the direction of helping people? Or is it steering you in the direction of harming people? In a world of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we can obtain all of our goals and all of our dreams without helping people and with, without hurting people. Sorry, without hurting people. We can help people without hurting people. And in fact, we can decide to work in a way that heals people. You see, enmity, mutual hatred, can be created or it can be healed. And the choice is ours. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. Today is your day and this moment right now is a moment for you to reflect and be aware. Do this for me. Put your feet on the ground.
and feel what is underneath you. Then I want you to look up to the sky and I want you to say thank you. Then I want you to look forward and look at your surroundings and be aware of all that you have. Now move forward from that space. Go out today and create, heal, contribute, laugh, and love. We are all here together.